Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, it's the beginning of the end for one of our favorite shows ever. And what a tremendous beginning for the eighth and final season of the hit comedy, Brooklyn Nine-Nine Plus. I'm Jeff Braun. I'll review Free Guy, a fun new movie starring Ryan Reynolds and Beckett, a less fun Netflix movie starring John David Washington. And Marvel has done it again by asking the question, what if? This workplace is my family. Was that not clear? Holt is my dad. You're my mean older sister. Amy's my mom. What? What? What did I say? For one hot damn last ah. ride. It is, as Peralta would say, no big whoop. But I actually don't pronounce the H in whoop. Witness the end. Oh dear. Woo! Of the nine nine. Well, it seems I was wrong. The whoop is big after all. Again, though, there's. There's no H in whoop. 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 Am I crazy? How do you say it? Take whoop. Okay. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the New York police comedy on NBC. Its eighth and final season is now underway. By the time this radio program airs... There'll already be four episodes in to a 10-episode season. It started Thursday, August 12th, and they're airing two episodes each Thursday, wrapping up on September 16th. So we haven't seen those third and fourth episodes yet because we record this show Thursday afternoon. So for us, those episodes haven't even aired. But, Jeff, I thought the first two episodes were terrific, especially that first episode. Did you watch them? I did, and I thought they were terrific as well, and uh, we'll get to a, a moment in that first episode in a bit, but, uh, you know, they did a great job in the first episode dealing with the contentious police issues over the past year. People have been wondering, like, how is Brooklyn Nine-Nine going to come back after all the stuff that, you know, happened in the States in the last year and into this year, of course, uh, and they used Rosa and Jake, and it was awkward and uncomfortable, and it didn't really resolve anything, so it was, you know, accurate to real life like that, and I guess we'll see how much time they spend on that stuff the rest of the season and then you know it was pretty obvious with the second episode that they want to mostly still be a comedy of course and it was a good move to get the gang away from work for an episode of hijinks out in the woods on a cabin weekend uh, you know that episode was obviously a lot funnier and uh, they wanted to remind everybody that you know pound for pound they can shove more jokes into a minute of tv than just about anybody else Fully agree that first episode was quite serious, still had lots of laughs, but there was in particular, and you just referenced it, uh, there was a surprisingly poignant and emotional scene featuring Andre Brower as Captain Raymond Holt speaking to his colleague Amy Santiago, played by Melissa Fumero. Captain Holt revealed he was going through some stuff and... uh, it was powerful, and it, it was like, a, like a, an emotional shot to the gut. Here's a chunk of that conversation. It's been a tough year to be a black man. And a police captain. I'm a human. I've been pushed to the brink emotionally and physically. I went into survival mode, and it seems I have neglected my personal life. Does anyone else know? Not here. I have successfully hidden it for months. Not very well, I might add. I made small talk with Peralta on five separate occasions, and he never even batted an eye. He just blathered on about someone named, uh, Wario. Yeah, he does that. But you... (laughs) You noticed that something was off with me the very first day you returned. 
That just shows how well you know me. And while I'm not yet ready to talk about it, it's uh, nice feeling like I'm not alone anymore. That scene left me in tears, and uh, I love how Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and when it started, it was a pretty zany show, to the point where it, it turned off several people I know who tried it, and they said, that show's too wacky. But uh, it was just finding its feet, and over the last few seasons, I think they've done a really good job at kind of tackling what's going on in the world with its mainstream issues. And right there in, like, five words, or six words, they, they managed to cover off Three things, three massive things that have happened in the world when he says it's been a tough year to be a black man, a police captain, and a human because of all the stuff with Black Lives Matter. And then the pandemic, it has been a tough year to be a human. And just the raw emotion, it was almost as though he was, um, was like the emotional conduit for the entire audience because I think we can all in some way relate to that feeling absolutely and you know i i thought afterwards i was like that is just one of two instances in brooklyn 99 that sort of instantly brought me to tears the other though was you know a happy tears it was when jake's with his uh, surprise proposal to amy but it was very powerful stuff and you don't expect it coming out of a sitcom and uh but they just nailed it and you know what it actually i think joins a list of other big tv moments that sort of shake you in a way you're not expecting although Honestly, usually the list is mostly, you know, because they kill someone unexpectedly, like in Breaking Bad and Ozymandias, that whole episode, really. But the opening scene in the desert, someone gets shot. And I stood up on my feet when that happened, and I stayed standing on my feet in front of my TV for the whole rest of the episode. I spent the whole hour watching TV, standing up, and only after the episode was over, I realized, like, why am I not sitting down for this? <laughs> but I shot up out of my seat in that moment. And then uh, also... Years ago on ER, um, when Noah Wiley and Lucy got stabbed, that was one of these just gut shot moments on TV that really affected me. I think that was the first time I realized, oh, TV shows can just kill people whenever they want. So <laughs> I, honestly, I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine now, you know, they've got a scene on that list now with uh, that whole scene. We didn't want any spoilers. There's some stuff at the beginning of the scene that just was just you just didn't see coming it's like oh my god so it's and then you sort of wonder it's like why how is the sitcom you know affecting me this much but it is season eight and we have been with it since day one and these characters are so you know well drawn that it they do you do get into the story that deeply that it can really affect you yeah they the characters are so wonderful they're so much fun we've i mean that's that's what a good tv show does because they the, the characters become like your friends and yeah, i think it it's Comedy can do drama so well because you're not expecting it. Like this scene, right. like they've had emotional scenes all throughout, but to see Raymond Holt and Andre Brower is so good. Uh, but it, it just, it was such a raw emotional moment. He better get an Emmy nomination for that. Uh, but I got super excited about this. I, I, I recorded that scene. Uh, you found the audio properly on YouTube, but I recorded it so it's just off my TV, so it sounded like this. It's been a tough year to be a black man. So not awful. I mean, it was good enough for with a company with a video. I put it on Twitter, and I just said as much as, or as funny as Brooklyn Nine-Nine is, and as much as I love, well, I refer to a specific scene that I'll get to in a moment. This might be the best ever moment in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Bravo, Andre Brower and Melissa Fumero. And whatever, I got a couple of likes. And then... Th- 30 minutes later, Melissa Fumero herself, Amy Santiago herself, 
retweeted it. Uh, and then, and then my tweet blew up. I got like 3,300 likes. I've, uh, I've got 97 quote tweets, 232 retweets and whatever impressions means. I don't know what that means, but, uh, a million people, a million people that scrolled by it and stopped long enough that Twitter thinks they probably read it. Yeah. Times people saw this tweet on Twitter, Brooklyn nine, nine. It's you win also retweeted it. Uh, so I just, anyway, I'm not, I was so like, I was humbled that she thought to retweet my thought and I was, uh, just excited to be a part of it for just a moment, Jeff. Isn't it fun? And, uh, our mutual friend, Joel and I have this ongoing thing where we'll tweet something out and maybe mention a celebrity or it'll be about a celebrity. And if they like it or reply to it or whatever, we like, just throw it in each other's faces. And it's like, ah, I win. Cause, and it's usually just small level stuff, like or niche comedy stuff we're into or music or something like that. Like, I think my biggest brush with celebrity was, uh, the actor, Paul Walter Hauser liked a tweet of mine when I commended his performance in the movie, Richard Jewell and suggested he should be nominated for an Oscar. And, uh, the other one, I think the Metallica Twitter account, no Ooh. one in Metallica, but whoever runs their Twitter account once replied to me when I asked if the, uh, Lars Ulrich autograph on a used copy of the first album, I bought for a dollar was legitimate and they said no it is not so uh, answer that mystery that I had for 15 years but uh, those are about the two biggest Twitter accounts I've been associated with nice job and you love Metallica uh, but oh, I mentioned yeah. that that I think that is my now what I think is the best moment ever but prior to that scene I always loved oh, this yeah. scene so do you recognize any of these men I was hiding in the bathroom stall so I didn't see his face but I heard him. He was singing along to the music at the bar. Do you remember what he was singing? I think it was that song, I Want It That Way. Backstreet Boys, I'm familiar. Okay. Number one, could you please sing the opening to I Want It That Way? Really? Okay. <laughs> you are my fire. Number two, keep it going. The one desire. Number three. Believe. <laughs> When I say Number four I want it that way Tell me why Ain't nothing but a heartache Tell me why Ain't nothing but a mistake Now number five I never want to hear you say Woo! I want it that way Ah, oh, chills. Literal chills. It was number five. Number five killed my brother. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. <laughs> Every time I can watch that scene over and over and over again. Yeah. So good. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That's absolutely their best scene, I think. So we're going to enjoy Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and perhaps we'll revisit it throughout the final season. Because, again, they're doing two episodes a week, and it's only ten episodes, so it's going to be over quick. But in a moment, we got to hear Jeff's review of the new Ryan Reynolds movie, Free Guy. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and I went to the theaters this week to see a big action movie on the big screen. Ryan Reynolds comes to life in a video game in the movie Free Guy. What if you discovered your entire world was a game? Guy, what's a video game? Is this what recreational drugs feel like? In two days, the game is going to shut down. What if we can save it? Everybody down on the ground! Hi. This isn't you. You don't do this. Maybe I do. Please, that mother. He's just resting. And please, this. That man is dead. He's so sleepy. Free Guy. Rated BG-13. August 13th. Only in theaters. 
What fun. You expect fun with Ryan Reynolds, of course. So uh, a gift and maybe a curse for his career, I think. And Free Guy pays off the way that you want it to. Reynolds plays Guy. That's his name, Guy. As a bank teller, he wears a blue shirt. And every day he does the same routine. He gets up, feeds his goldfish, gets a coffee, and heads to the bank which is then robbed several dozen times each and every day. And this, of course, is because Guy lives inside a video game. It's some kind of Fortnite clone, I suppose. It's called Free City, and there's all sorts of crazy action stuff happens around him all the time. Most of it's quite violent. But like the hosts in Westworld, he's programmed to just run his little loop every day because he's what they call an NPC or a non-player character. He's just a background guy. He has a buddy who's named Buddy. He's played by Lil Rel Howry, who was a security guard at the bank, and they're both content to keep doing the same thing every day until Guy sees a woman and it's love at first sight. The woman has sunglasses on, and in Free City, that means she's an actual player in the game. But somehow Guy is going against his programming because he's so head over heels with this woman. He gets sunglasses himself, and that gives him player powers, although he's sort of still in the dark about this world and what's going on. So it's sort of like the Truman Show in, in places, and it really only gets weirder from there. The movie... Is also not confined to just a video game. There's some stuff outside the game with the creators, played by Steve from Stranger Thing and Taika Waititi, and the person playing the character the guy falls for, Killing Eve's Jodie Comer, and they're all wondering what guy might be up to or how he became sentient. And there's actually some really heavy sci-fi stuff at work here, but it's a lot more... Uh, easy to watch and understand than you often get in straight sci-fi movies. It's not like, I know we pick on it a lot uh, and we actually like the scene, but the thing with the architect in the matrix too, there's none of that sort of stuff going on here, but there are big ideas and just bizarre kind of ideas playing uh, all at the same time. And, and like I said, it's fun and it's lighthearted for the most part. And it's really trippy. And I, I would suggest that you need to pay attention and follow the logic that the movie lays out, but don't get too lost in it because I'm not sure that it fully makes sense. It makes sense enough for the purpose of the movie, but if you dig into it too much, I'm sure there are more questions and answers about how anything in this movie is really possible or plot holes and that sort of thing. I found I had to keep battling myself to not go down these logic wormholes in my head, but instead to just pay attention and accept things at face value, and you'll have a good time. I mean, Reynolds, of course, is predictably good. This thing seems just tailor-made for him. It sort of harkens back to Van Wilder in that he plays, you know, an optimistic... So he's naive in this movie. Not that Van Wilder was naive, but he was, you know, go with the flow and he didn't let things get to him. He was, he could easily brush stuff off. And that's what Guy is like. He's not cynical like Deadpool. So he's funny, he's sweet. And as the movie goes along, he learns a lot of new tricks. And the movie sticks to landing, which I didn't think was going to be possible given that Guy isn't real, but falls in love with someone who is. So I figured there would be some weird ham-fisted, messy ending, but they actually figured out an elegant way to wrap everything up that was both heartwarming and made logical sense. Again, if you don't poke at the logic too much. There are a couple of cameos in this movie. Both are great. The first one kind of blew my mind, and the second one was a laugh-out-loud surprise moment that everyone in the theater enjoyed. Visually, it's a, it's a feast for the eyes, Brett. There's a ton of stuff happening around Guy all the time, and it would take a few watches probably to take in everything that's going on at the screen in a lot of these moments. We heard in the clip there, it's PG-13. It's a pretty good movie for the whole family. A lot of stuff gets blown up, and there's a lot of gunplay, but there's not really any blood or anything like that. And there are a small handful of swears, a couple of weird ones, I would say, that sort of makes you wonder, they could have easily had a, made this a PG and drawn in more families to watch it. But hey, 
that's what they did. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for Free Guy. I recommend it, and I recommend seeing it on a big screen if you can. And speaking of the big screen, there are a handful of other movies out this weekend. Ryan Reynolds' buddy, Hugh Jackman, has a new movie, a science fiction. He plays a private investigator of the mind. It's called Reminiscence, not getting the best reviews. There's an action movie with Maggie Q, Michael Keaton, and Samuel L. Jackson called The Protégé. I'm just actually assuming that's an action movie. Given, Well, yeah, she's holding a gun on the, the front uh, poster. There's Paw Patrol, the movie. And uh, the, there's a scary movie called The Night House, but that one's listed as a limited release. So just check your listings. Some, you never know where those movies are going to pop up uh, as far as uh, various cities are concerned. Up next, Marvel asks the question, what if? You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Where you want to be? That's the question, isn't it? Every universe is different. Each one unique. Slow down a little bit. There's a few people in the room that don't understand. Not me, I, I get it. Captain Carter, what's going on here? Sounds mysterious. Here's a bit more. I am the Watcher. I observe all that transpires here. But I do not, cannot, will not interfere. I guess I have to freestyle then. A ravager never flies solo. I said never flies solo. Uh, is that some kind of catchphrase? You had me worried for a second. Journey to face the unknown and ponder the question. So this debuted two Wednesdays ago on August 11th based on the Marvel series What If? And it's a comic anthology series that started way back in uh, 1977. And the first ever issue was What If Spider-Man Joined the Fantastic Four? And they're the fa- known as the Fantastic Five. So they basically tell these alternate stories. Like what would happen if at this point, instead of going this way, the road forked that way. And um, it's a cartoon it's, it almost looks like that rotoscope style of animation. So it, it basically, it's like watching a movie, but it's just animated. And uh, it's so good. I w- was skeptical when they announced they were doing this. I thought, I don't know, like, do we really need to branch off? But the first two stories they told were tremendous. The first episode was, what if Captain Carter were the first Avenger? So the idea here is that Instead of Steve Rogers getting into the chamber that turns him into the super soldier, that turns him into Captain America, something happens, and Peggy Carter, Agent Carter, ends up in the chamber instead, and she becomes the super soldier, and wow, it was so much fun watching, because, I mean, I 
I think Peggy Carter is one of the best characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I remember watching that first Avenger movie, the Captain America, the first Avenger. And uh, I remember like being surprised at how much I cared about her. She injected so much personality and emotion into that role. And then that's what made Captain America's journey so important and so significant and so emotional what like when you love that first avenger movie jeff what did you think of peggy carter when you first watched it i did love it and i loved her in it too and i was like oh this is awesome and and you know as you sort of realized as it was getting to the end it's like well i heard that he's going to be like in modern day avenger movies so what's going to happen to peggy carter if uh, captain america somehow goes through time and there was a little bit of that and then of course at the end you know what happens happens and then you know, also what happens happens at the end of Endgame was like a nice little callback to the first Avenger. It was like uh, just one of the made for the full arc of their story, uh, one of the most satisfying endings of all time. So I thought it was great to watch her going around kicking butt and enjoying herself as well. But she still had to, even though she is a superhero, a super soldier who can stand in front of a truck, a, a speeding truck, and stop it just with her body. Uh, she still deals with sexist garbage from her superiors. So it, they managed to continue to reflect the the troubles that Peggy Carter had to endure her entire career, uh, which even though she ended up being one of the founders of S.H.I.E.L.D. So that was a great episode. And then the second episode, which aired this week, is what if T'Challa became a Star-Lord? So this one imagines the Ravagers led by your buddy uh, Mary Poppins. Uh, I don't actually know what his character's name is. Yondu. 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 Yes, played by Michael Rooker. Is that his name? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, instead of grabbing young Peter Quill, played by, you know, who's Chris Pratt's character in Guardians of the Galaxy, they end up grabbing T'Challa, who is the Black Panther, and they show what would happen in that event. And let me tell you, the... Effects across not just the the world of the Guardians of the Galaxy, but across the entire galaxy, across the entire universe. One person makes a gigantic difference, and you just have to watch it to let it play out. But it's also super fun, and it was Chadwick Boseman's final performance as T'Challa, and he quite enjoyed doing it because he got to play it play the role a bit more light. Uh, you know, with some actual comedy because he's always so serious, right, as the king of Wakanda. So this was really cool, and uh, I can't wait to see what other stories they tell. This is a lot of fun. And I'm also curious to know if any of these stories are going to somehow stick because now that they're going into the multiverse, like the whole point of the multiverse is that one little change can branch off and create an entirely new timeline. Like, I hope they find a way to make Captain Carter the movie like i want to see a full movie of captain carter i think that or have her join the avengers somehow i don't know i don't think it's probably not possible at this point but who cares i want to see it so if you have disney plus you like marvel stuff check out what if it's awesome i are they standalone episodes yep. or are they connected to each other standalone so far they're standalone yeah cool yeah, you said, I mean, anything is possible, Brett. They could, especially in the world of comic book movies, so start the, start the campaign now, the online petition. We need uh, Captain Carter, the movie. <laughs> we do. She, I mean, they've can, made... Oh, and the, uh, sorry, and I'll just quickly mention, and almost all of the voice cast, like, 
Haley Atwell, who played Peggy Carter in the movies, she's the voice in this. Like, I think the only actors who aren't involved are Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, uh, Robert Downey Jr., and Dave Bautista for some reason, and he seemed a little miffed about that. He, they said, why aren't you voicing Drax? And he says, because they didn't ask me. So oh. that's it. But almost everybody what's else. That? They're just trying to save money, I suppose. That's, why wouldn't he ask them? I, maybe they just don't want him back. Maybe they maybe they're done with Drax. I don't know, like because I'm guessing Guardians Three has the has been shot already. I would think so. Yeah. 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 Who knows? Cool. I, I might check in uh, check that out, especially if they're all standalone episodes and they can sort of pick and choose the one I think is most interesting to me. But you've made a good case for Captain Carter. Um, one of the other things I watched this week, Brett, was a Netflix movie starring John David Washington that's called Beckett. There was an accident with the car. Where's my girlfriend, April? There were people in the house. Nobody has uh, lived there for years. I saw someone. My friend, come out. It's a misunderstanding. This man's trying to kill me! Beckett continues the proud Netflix movie tradition of being fine but not great. I do think it's considerably better than most of the other Netflix movies so far, even though it doesn't quite hit the heights that you would want it to. John David Washington plays Beckett, an American tourist in Greece. I never did nail down whether or not Beckett was his first or last name. Could go either way. Doesn't really matter, I guess. Movie also stars Alicia Vikander, Boyd Holbrook, and a lot of Greek actors. And Beckett's not alone. He's on vacation with his girlfriend, played by Alicia Vikander, at least for the first two scenes. But then they get in that car accident we heard about in the clip, and she's out of commission for the rest of the movie. He's relatively okay, although he is banged up. And one of the joys of this movie is... Watching him get increasingly banged up as the movie goes along, it's very much in that diehard vein and that when people get beat up, they look and act like they got beat up. Now, it is still a movie, so it's not totally what it would be like in real life, of course, but it's a better effort than you usually see. I don't know. If it was me, as soon as I got shot in the shoulder, uh, game over. I'm off to the hospital for at least a week, and I don't care what else happens outside my hospital room. Not Beckett, though. After he sort of recovers from the crash, he goes back to the crash site because he swore he saw some people at the scene and he wants to investigate. And that's when the movie really kicks in, because up until that point, it is actually kind of boring. They spend what feels like forever with Beckett and Vikander on vacation. It's unusually slow pacing, and it's a problem at various points throughout the movie, but especially in the first half hour, it just drags. Um, but he does return to that crash site, and he's immediately shot at by some people, and he has no idea why, so he runs, and most of the rest of the movie is just him on the run, and he slowly finds out why over the course of the next 75 minutes, and we do too. The movie is structured so that we only know what Beckett knows, which is nothing at first, and the movie is very Hitchcockian in that way. Alfred Hitchcock liked to make these movies where either it was a guy that's just in the wrong place at the wrong time or a mistaken identity or some other thing where the main character becomes deeply involved in something but doesn't know what. And it's just a great way to inject more suspense into the proceedings. As, as Beckett initially is, you know, just running for his life, he eventually figures out that he has to run to a specific place to get help, but it's far and he can't just literally run there. So he has to approach strangers for help. And every time he does, he, 
And we, the audience, wonder how it's going to go. Will they be helpful strangers? Will they have some ulterior motive? Will they try to turn him into the police? And he has reason to believe the police won't help him. And of course, you know, it's said in Greece. So there's a language barrier and there's a cultural barrier. And it seems most of the country is enraged about the political upheaval going on at the time as well. So it's a tense place to begin with. All that stuff I really, really enjoyed. And again, there's a realism to it uh, in the action as well that most movies don't provide. The fights are ugly and awkward. The gunfights are even more awkward. There's a lot of arms and legs that get shot. No one catches one right between the eyes like you see in most movies. So it, it really does you know, make it a bit more realistic and a little more unsettling. Uh, there were a lot of good decisions made making this movie from Italian director Ferdinando Cito Filamarino. This is his first big Hollywood thing. He's made some short films in Italy by the looks of his IMDb page. But there are unfortunately too many bad decisions, I think, to pacing, as I mentioned. I wouldn't cut any scenes, but they could easily cut 15 minutes out of the first half hour just by shortening scenes. I get that they want to show, you know, the good times that John David Washington and Alicia Vikander are having, so it'll give the bad times more oomph, but it's just it's just too long and too boring. A number of other scenes could be tightened up as well, although, I don't know, maybe that's a Netflix thing. They, they know we're all on our phones while we watch anyway, so maybe they elongate all the scenes on purpose so we can check our social media, but still keep up with the story. I doubt it's that, but I'm also surprised that that's actually not a thing yet. Um, aside from the pacing problems, the ending isn't really good. Obviously, I can't get into that, but I found the action suddenly unrealistic, and there's an explanation of some events that didn't make much sense. Again, I think it was a nod to Hitchcock or maybe even the Coen brothers, but it just didn't land for me. I do like the swing that this movie takes, but ultimately doesn't really connect like it should. Three couch cushions out of five for Beckett, which you can watch now on Netflix. And I just need to confirm that Dave Bautista will be in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which actually begins filming later this year. Uh, he says Guardians 3 will be the end of my Drax journey. And a producer says there was a miscommunication as it pertains to what if. So I... Uh, whatever hmm. he's only the, the character's only in the, the episode for like five seconds so it's not, not and they said deal. what if we got someone else to be Drax <laughs> in a moment I got to tell you about something I started to tell you about last week but ran out of time and as it turns out we still don't have a lot of time but I'm going to tell you anyway you're listening to the couch potatoes I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. I briefly mentioned this last week, but I do want to spend a couple more minutes on this because I recently re-watched a movie that uh, I actually enjoyed a lot more. It's one of those movies where every time I watch it, I enjoy it more, and it's become a cult favorite, and I hope that uh, it ends up going down as a movie that is fondly remembered rather than when it first came out and was not viewed fondly by critics. It's Constantine, starring Keanu Reeves. What if I told you that God and the devil made a wager for the souls of all mankind? No direct contact with humans, that would be the rule. Just influence, see who would win. Demons stay in hell, angels in heaven. They call it the balance. I need to see what you see. You do this, there's no turning back. You see them, they see you, understand? So Keanu Reeves plays 
a master of the occult, and it's basically angels and demons and stuff, and he can enter hell when he so chooses. I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of all of that stuff. All you got to know is that Constantine is a pretty powerful entity in the DC universe with all of the magic stuff that he can do, and they don't really touch on a lot of that in this film. There was a lot of controversy over the casting of Keanu Reeves because the comic book character is a British B, not American. C, or is also blonde. Did I just go A to C? Uh, yep. Yep. All right. I was. I'm like Home Alone. A to D. Um, the second thing <laughs> is uh, he has blonde hair in the comics. Keanu Reeves has dark hair, and in the comics he wears like a like a light brown trench coat, and in the movie he wears a black trench coat. But who cares? Um, I don't. I'm not familiar with the the comic book material. I really enjoyed this. Rachel Weisz has a supporting role, and she is tremendous. You actually get to meet the devil himself, Peter Stormare, instantly memorable. Like The second he appears on screen, you know that this has got to be the devil and one of the most entertaining performances and menacing performances of that character. So if you like... Angels and demons kind of stuff and the war between heaven and hell or the battle, the balance between heaven and hell. I think this is worth a look. It's available both on Netflix and on Crave. And I would like to actually revisit the NBC TV show that that came out in 2014 because uh, that one starring Matt Ryan was only canceled after one season. He eventually became a recurring character in the Arrowverse and they even included a crossover with Lucifer, which is pretty cool. But they actually cast that one like the comic books. They got a blonde British guy, put him in the light trench coat, and uh, he was a much more lighthearted version of the character. So it was kind of interesting to see both takes on Constantine. I like them both, and maybe you will too. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.